Children may be dismissed and make their way to junior church. As I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We are going to finish Romans chapter 10 uh, today as we continue our trek through Romans. As I begin this passage, I want to also share that we have set that um, September 18th. I think it's September 18th. September 18th, we're hoping, will be a back-to-church Sunday. September 19th, actually. September 19th, back-to-church Sunday. So if you're one of those at home and kind of wondering, still a little hesitant to come back to church because of COVID and things like that, maybe it would help if you set a particular Sunday and said, we're going to come back this day. And in that case, I'd encourage you to set uh, September 18th. Did I just say 19th? Thank you. September 19th is back-to-church Sunday. Also, bring a friend Sunday. We'd encourage you. You know, the studies repeatedly show most people will come to church when invited. Most people will come, 80% or so, will come to church if invited. Invite a friend. However, I want to share something else cool going on that day, as long as Spiritual Life approves it tomorrow night, which I think they will. The Saturday night service is going to come back September 18th. Now, that's a strange weekend, you may be thinking, because we got back to church Sunday the next day, and I want to tell you why. Uh, first, I'm going to encourage everybody who comes to Saturday night service that night, also come Sunday unless you're working on, on Sundays. And one main reason for the Saturday night worship service is that a high number, at least 34% of people, work on Sunday mornings and cannot make it to worship on Sunday morning. The other thing is the youth group has a game night every Sunday night during the school year. It's a, it's a youth hangout night. They have a short message, but it's more of a game night. And they're moving, they're, September uh, 12th is their kickoff weekend. And they're going to be moving that to Saturday night. So the parents and families, uh, actually the parents and families wanted that. They wanted it to be that they could come to church Saturday night and then their kids stay for the game night right after, right after the service. And that's really the main reason we're not starting the following weekend. But you're going to hear about a lot of neat stuff we have coming up. We have somebody speaking in Sunday school the last Sunday of September about human trafficking. We're going to have combined adult Sunday school and she's, she, she's a Christian professor who teaches at YSU and that is a very, very, very important thing that we need to pray about and consider. We're going to have missionaries, the offenses, speaking the first uh, Sunday of, Sept- of October. And we're going to have a lunch that day as well. So you're going to hear about some exciting things. And right now, the exciting thing that you get to hear about is Romans chapter 10. So on that note, <laughs> end of that announcement. If you follow along in the sermon manuscripts that you pick up or that you read on my blog, I'm going to be using a different illustration um, in the opening just so that I can keep you on your toes. There's a BBC show, and it's called Victoria, and it was started in, I think, maybe 2017, 2016. It's about Queen Victoria, and maybe you've heard about her. She was the Queen of England and Great Britain in the mid to late 1800s, one of, I think, the longest reigning uh, monarch up until Queen Elizabeth. Maybe you've heard of her. And uh, even though we live in America, it's pretty interesting how we have this infatuation with the British crown, right? You know, we always like that show on Netflix called The Crown. And well, this is called Victoria. And Megan and I found it a few weeks ago, and it's, it's fairly wholesome. And we were watching it. We got through season one, and we got into season two. And Queen Victoria is a young queen in her maybe mid-20s, a young reigning monarch. And she's married with kids. And in this particular episode, I want to say episode seven of season two, she wanted to go to Scotland. 
And I looked this up. This is true. Queen Victoria did have a fascination with Scotland. This is true. And so she wanted to go to Scotland, so she got her little entourage, and her and her husband, Albert, went to Scotland. And the first day they were there, they were entertained by certain people, and they listened as poetry was read. And the next day, they thought this guy was going to read poetry to them again, and she didn't really want to hear that. And so she said, hey, can we go out you know, on a, on a ride today instead? So they go out fly fishing, and when they leave fly fly fishing, they were thinking, she thought, they, they go to get in their coach, their carriage, she said, she said, me and Albert, we would like to ride back on our own, and they said, okay, you know, you're the queen, and, and the guy that was hosting them said, don't let them out of their sight, well, they got lost, Queen uh, Victoria and her husband got lost in the hills of Scotland, and I looked that up on the internet today, and it said it on the internet, so I know it's true, that that is a true story. They really did get lost in the hills of Scotland. It, it was on the BBC website. I'm pretty sure it's accurate. They really did get lost, and they kind of wanted to get lost, and the evening came, and they were all out searching for Queen Victoria and her husband. All of the Scottish royalty and people are out searching for her, and they come upon a house, and it's just a common common person's house and they knock on the door and somebody answers an older gentleman and his wife and she goes in and sits down and he says make yourself at home you know he did not know that was the queen you wouldn't know back then this is like 1845 you wouldn't know but of course she's used to making herself at home wherever she goes well she they host them for that evening but they never tell their host family who they are so they said where are you from and she says uh, we're from London, and they said, what do you do? And her husband, Albert, said, I own a factory. And she said, actually, I own the factory. She, he just helps with the paperwork, which was just you know, hilarious when you're thinking about it. But anyways, they end up staying the night, and they really, really enjoy their evening. And then the next day, uh, they are found. And supposedly, what I found as true is that they really did get lost riding in Scotland, but they were found the same evening. And of course, they took some literary license with that. But think about that for a minute. She's the queen of England, and literally and true, under her reign, uh, under her reign, England, uh, you know, the, the British crown uh, grew, you know, to India and Afghanistan and all over the world, to the point that at the end of her reign, they would say the sun never sets on the, on the British flag. You know, it really grew under her reign. But she can go to this common house, and they don't know who she is. It doesn't matter who she is. If you're lost in the wilderness of Scotland, you still need... You know, housing. You still need support. You still need help. It, does, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, when Queen, when, when Queen Victoria passed on, she needs salvation just like any one of us. You know, they say the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. In the passage we're going to look at today, we will see the Apostle Paul continue to impress that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. We cannot earn our way to heaven. Paul continues to answer the question about the Jewish people. You know, starting in Romans 9, he's been answering the question, what about the Jewish people? What about the nation of Israel? Why are they rejecting the Messiah? Why are they rejecting the Messiah? Has God not been faithful to his promises? Did God change his mind? And the Apostle Paul continues and continues to use many, many, many Old Testament passages to show that God has been faithful to his promises. That God has not changed his mind. In fact, God cannot lie and cannot change his mind. 
And God prophesied through Isaiah 700 years before Christ and many others. We're going to see Deuteronomy 32, which would be 1,400 years before Christ used today. And Paul used these, uh, these passages to show that God said that there would only be a remnant that would remain of Judaism, of the Jewish people. That only a remnant of the nation of Israel would remain. God had even said he made sure that there was a remnant. God even said people they did not know with a strange tongue. In other words, the Gentiles would accept the Savior. Paul was continuing to impress that God has been faithful. And the point is, salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for you and me and every tribe, tongue, and nationality. That's why I love Revelation 7, 9 through 11. John sees a great multitude of many tribes and tongues and nationalities worshiping God in heaven. And they're worshiping God in their own language. You know, one of the phrases we use, which is not true, is that we need to be colorblind. That's not true. All these different um, nationalities, ethnicities, colors of skin, uh, languages, cultures, they all glorify God. They all exalt God. That's a good thing. God did that. And they're all equal at the foot of the cross. That's Galatians 3.28. That's Revelation 7.9-11. That's one of the verses we're going to read today. We all need salvation. And God and Paul is going to continue. And as we get to Romans 11, we're going to see how Paul, and we'll get there in a few weeks, I promise. And we're going to see how Paul shows that there's a partial hardening on the Jewish people. But that's going to end at some point. There's going to, and, and Paul even says all Israel will be saved. Now, that doesn't literally mean every single Israelite is going to be saved. But it means that there's going to be mass uh, conversions amongst Israelites. And as I've been saying, a lot of that's happening today. Dr. Radelnik, who's on Moody Radio and teaches at Moody Bible Institute, a Messianic Jew himself, has said that there are studies to show that in the European countries that went into the Holocaust, there were mass conversions of Jewish people right before the Holocaust. Chosen people ministries. There's a lot of great ministries uh, for them. But salvation is for everyone. Every tribe, tongue, and nationality. So here's an application. Make sure Jesus is Lord. And also make sure that we care about the gospel. Make sure that we are sharing the gospel with others. I'm convinced that most of us don't care about that. I'm convinced that we really don't. We want to be comfortable in our church. We don't want new people to come in and, and mess it up. And we don't want to share the gospel with others. Sometimes we use it an excuse. We'll say, well, you know, if God wants me to, they'll bring it up. God wants you to have faith and open your mouth and talk about the gospel with other people. And it's a sin not to. We're commanded to do that. We think we could check off a box, all these sins we don't commit. Didn't commit this one, didn't commit this one, didn't commit this one. But if we're not sharing the gospel, we need to repent of that. In Romans 15, 20 and 21, we'll get there by the end of the year, I promise. Uh, we see the Apostle Paul say, says that it is his desire to take the gospel to unreached people groups. He wanted to use Rome as a staging point to take the gospel to Spain. And he might have done it. It's powerful. It, 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 is it our desire to make heaven worship? There's a few things we can't do in heaven. One of them is share the gospel. We won't get to do that in heaven. Also, we know that all heaven worships when one sinner repents. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. I pray that you are praying 
for people to share the gospel with. And I pray that you are following that up with your mouth. Not with tracks. They're okay too. Actually, usually I don't like them because they're impersonal and they're a terrible excuse and a terrible witness a lot of times. Sorry, I'll tell you how I really feel. We're using that as an excuse. I'll just drop this little trash on a table for the waitress to pick up. Why don't you share the gospel with the waitress? Why don't you pray you know, for it? Maybe you start talking about spiritual matters and she's totally closed. Or, or he, it could be a male waitress. You know, they're totally closed. And you know it's not a divine appointment. Don't impress on it. Don't beat them over the head. That's not a divine appointment. We should share the gospel. You know why Christianity is leaving America? Because Christians really didn't care about the gospel to begin with. All right, enough of that. Let's move on. Make sure Jesus is your Lord. And if Jesus is truly your Lord, you will care about that. Anyways, and we're all in process. I'm not, you know, we're all in process. We're all growing, hopefully, in process of growth. And we all fail and blunder and flounder and have issues that we need to repent of. So don't beat yourself up too much. Repent of it and move on and pray that God helps you. Let's look at the context of this. We continue our trek through Romans and we come to the rest of Romans 10. In the beginning of Romans chapter 10, Paul wrote about the Jewish people. In Romans 10, 1 through 4, Paul wrote about the Jewish people. In Romans 10 began, Romans chapter 10 began much like Romans 9. Paul shares his passion for the Jewish people and Paul shares shared his heart that they would know the Lord. Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 is the only passage where it talks about praying for lost people. And, and it's interesting because Paul prays. Actually, I'll read it right there. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. His prayer to God is that the Jewish people will be saved. It's his heart's desire that, that they would be saved. And is it our heart's desire that people are saved, that our family and friends, their children, grandchildren, that our community, that our neighbors, our coworkers are saved? If it's not, you probably don't know the Lord yourself. That's a pretty... It, we, we really don't. I mean, if we don't care about the fires of hell and the reality of hell then, and, and other people being rescued from that and knowing Jesus, if we don't care about that, we probably don't know Jesus. Or for sure, though, I'm not meaning to judge you. You know, only God can do that. But uh, for sure, we need to do some business with God if we don't care about that. Paul cared that the Jewish people know the Lord. His heart's desire and his prayer for them is that they would be saved, is that they would know the Lord. And then in verse 4, Romans 10, 4, Paul shares that Jesus is the end of the law. It seems that that means, as John MacArthur shares, that belief in Christ as Lord and Savior ends the sinner's futile quest for righteousness through his imperfect attempts to save himself by effort to obey the law. Belief in Jesus is the end of our quest to try to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can only be saved by Jesus' blood on the cross. We can only be saved by grace through faith, knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think that's what Paul meant, saying Jesus is the end of the law. And this leads us to Romans 10, verses 5 through 13, which is the idea that we are saved by faith, not by works. We are saved by faith, not by works. And you know what? That faith is the same for everyone. Whether you're Queen Victoria or the President of the United States or, or a billionaire or whether you're somebody, you know, who's working as a waiter, waitress, one of common people. It doesn't matter. It's all by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I remember a presidential debate back in the mid-90s and two presidential candidates were debating. And somebody asked one of the candidates, hey, you want to talk about your tax cuts? And the presidential candidate immediately responded. It was a great, quick, witty response. Yes, and you're eligible <laughs> to the person asking the questions. We are all eligible for the salvation by faith alone. And that's the neatest thing about when we share it with other people. Everyone's eligible. 
You don't have to be a certain height, praise God. You don't have to be a certain IQ. You don't have to be a certain EQ. You don't have to have a certain amount of muscle mass or certain college qualifications. You don't have to. Everyone is eligible. It's salvation by, by grace through faith. And that's a neat thing. As we read through Romans, Paul continues to contrast the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And the Jewish people missed it because they thought you had to keep the law. But they didn't keep the law by faith that God was going to send a Savior, that God was going to send a Messiah. It's all about that. In these next several verses, Paul writes about how we are saved by faith and not by works. Remember, Paul has been contrasting this all throughout the book of Romans. More specifically, in Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, and 10, 1 through 4, Paul talked about the Jewish people stumbling over Jesus. Romans 9, 32, uh, 32 and 33. Paul said that the, Paul used Isaiah, actually. He used an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah to show that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a stumbling block. The Jewish people thought they could achieve righteousness by just keeping the law, but they did not pursue it by faith. I know I just said that. Paul said they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They conformed to the law, but they missed Jesus. They thought they could achieve righteousness on their own, and that was Romans 10, 2 through 3. Now let's look at verse 5 of chapter 10, Romans 10, 5. I'm going to read this scripture as we talk about it. We're just going to kind of walk through and hopefully expository exaltation of this passage. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's Romans 10, verse 5. So Paul is getting more specific in his contrast. More specific in his contrast between the, the, the people of Israel and the Gentiles, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And so he's getting more specific. What is the law of Moses? What did Moses write about? So now this is about the Ten Commandments. This is about the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This is about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those books inspired by God. That means God breathed. Moses wrote about righteousness based on the law. That's what Paul's saying here. The person who does the commandments, that's the commandments taught by Moses, shall live by them. That's what Paul is saying here. But Levit in Leviticus 18.5 says just that. Leviticus 18.5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Here's the problem, though. Nobody could keep the whole law. Nobody could keep every single one of the statutes, every one of the rules, every one of the commandments. And God knew that. And God said from the beginning of time, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. You have to have faith that God's going to send the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus. So in Romans 10.6, Paul says, actually Romans 7.10, a few chapters back. In Romans 7.10, Paul said, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Paul was saying even he himself could not keep the law. So now moving on to verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. So now Paul is getting into righteousness that is based on faith and not based on the law. And this is from Deuteronomy 30.12. Again, I keep telling you, Paul is using Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote to make his case. It's like Paul himself is preaching a sermon using Old Testament texts right here to show they need a Savior. Deuteronomy 30 verse 12. Or who will descend into the abyss? Uh, actually, that's from Deuteronomy 30 verse 12. Now verse 7. I'm sorry, I got mixed up. Verse 7 is a quote from Deuteronomy 30 verse 12. 
I'm going to read verses 6 and 7 together. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. And now verse 7. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's, that's the Deuteronomy passage. Remember, these are statements that we are not to say. We're not to say these. Verse 7 is a quotation from Deuteronomy 30, 13. So together, these are from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 and 13. Paul takes these statements, and Paul is applying them to Christ. We cannot bring Christ down, and we cannot bring Christ up. We can't do that. And now look at verses 8 and 9. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Most of us might know that passage. The word is near you. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. What word is near you? Paul answers it right here. The word of faith, which they are proclaiming, the gospel is near them. In verse 9, Paul continues to share what the word is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We have a simple gospel message right here. Notice there could be more right there, but Paul lists some main things. Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Many times we talk about Jesus being Lord, and we forget the resurrection. Right here he's saying, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. This is a public confession. In the first century, when one was baptized, they had to say, Jesus is Lord. And that was a big deal because they were saying, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. His name is Jesus, but Lord is his title. Paul has more explanation in the next verse. Look at verse 10, Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the heart is our belief and we're justified. That means we are declared righteous. And then with the mouth, we confess and we're saved. It's not that we're saved if we don't make the... It's not that we're only saved by the statement coming out of our mouth. The mouth is showing the validity, the reality of it. One confesses and they're saved. To me, it seems this happens simultaneously. And the confession testifies to this salvation. Romans 10, 11 is another scripture quotation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or put to shame. And this is again... From Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 16. And this had also been quoted in Romans 9, 33. Verses 12 through 13 close up this section. Let's read verses 12 through 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 12 begins with four, which means that this is an explanation. There is no distinction between Greek and Jewish person. Paul has been contrasting the Greeks with the Jewish people all through the book. And here he is saying the same Lord is Lord of all. The same Lord is Lord of all. Romans 3.32 and 3.29 had shared that as well. God is giving riches on all who call on him, regardless of nationality or ethnicity. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And verse 13 is a quote from Joel 2.32. Isn't that amazing? How much do we value our Bibles? How much do we value the Old Testament? Look at this. The Apostle Paul is repeatedly quoting Old Testament passages to, to justify, to, to, to give credibility to what he's saying. 
The importance of preaching the gospel we see in verses 14 and 15. Let's look at those verses. Paul continues his gospel theme. Verse 14 reads, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are three questions here, one after another, with implied negative answers. No one can believe if they've never heard. They cannot hear without a preacher. Then verse 15, Romans 10, 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The context of Isaiah's words, by the way, that's a quote from Isaiah. The context of Isaiah's words was the announcement of God's favor in restoring Jerusalem following the Babylonian captivity. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. You want to have beautiful feet? Don't get a pedicure, bring the good news. You want to get a pedicure, that's up to you. Never had one myself, but bring the good news to people. Make heaven worship. You know, and you know what? We're not responsible for the answer. We're just called to be the mouthpiece. We're just called to share the good news. Johnny Erickson Tata shares, Once while Ken, that's her husband, was cleaning out our garage, he came through the kitchen door holding up a pair of Canadian crutches. Do you want to dump these, he asked. I shared the dusty crutches and my throat tightened. They're daddies, I said with wet eyes. The aluminum was scraped and the rubber tips were scuffed, but the crutches brought into focus a flood of memories. When I was in the hospital, I could always tell when my father was coming for a visit. Click, click. His crutches would echo on the hallway title. Oh boy, daddy's here, I would think, grinning to myself. I felt that he, more than anyone else in the family, understood my situations. My situation. This is why for me that clicking sound was so welcome. Today's verse, this passage, talks about the beauty of feet that bring good news. That includes crutches, Johnny says. Think today about all the friends and family members you know who bring good tidings in the words of peace. The sandaled feet of your daughter home from college, the tennis shoe feet of your neighbor with whom you walk every morning. What do people think of when they hear your feet? Do they say, oh boy, here comes... And there's a little prayer she ends with. Make my feet beautiful, Lord. May I be mindful to carry the good news of your glad tidings to others today. Another question with an implied negative answer. They can't preach unless they are sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and they can't preach unless they're sent. As it is written, Paul says. Whenever Paul says, as it is written, whenever you see as it is written throughout the New Testament, that means an Old Testament quotation is going to follow. As it is written... He's going to quote from Isaiah 52, 7. And Romans 1, 15 and 15, 20 are good cross-references. But they did not all believe. And that's verses 16 through 21. They did not all believe. He continues. And as he continues, the they would be the Israelites. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, did not all believe. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? This comes from Isaiah 53, 1, the servant song. And then verse 17, Romans 10, 17, comes back to the previous theme of salvation. Look at verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must hear the word of Christ or, of course, read the word of Christ. And that would be implicit, too. We have to share the gospel so people can hear it. Faith does not come from... Charisma or gimmicks. You ever think about that? We can get the most charismatic person sharing the gospel 
but it's about the Holy Spirit convicting hearts through the word of God and through the gospel. And that brings the faith. Many of you might have shared all your best apologetics to try to convince somebody into salvation. But it's really about their heart and the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said, some of you may not like this quote, I find it humorous. Martin Luther, the reformer, said something about him and Melanchthon. Melanchthon was an associate of him. He said, he and Melanchthon sat and drank beer while the word did the work. He and Melanchthon sat and drank beer while the word of God did the work. In other words, they sat in the pub, they sat in places like that, and, they, and the word of God, as they translated the word of God to the common language of the people, as he translated the word of God to, the, to German, the common language of the people, the word of God did the work. The Holy Spirit did the work. In verses 18 through 20, Paul strings together Old Testament quotations. Let's look at those, verses 18 through 20. Paul continues, but I ask... Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, another question, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, this is Deuteronomy. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With the foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. That's the Gentiles. I have shown myself. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me, the Gentiles. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Again, why is Paul sharing these scriptures? He is showing God has been consistent with his word. God has been consistent with his promises. God has said all the Jewish people would not believe. God has said Gentiles, the nations, would believe the gospel. God has been consistent with his word. In verse 18, God is asking, have they not heard that they is Israel? This is Israel's culpability. Israel's culpability. Verse 18 then quotes Psalm 19.4. That particular psalm is about God's general revelation. God has, God has revealed himself in nature to everyone. Then verse 19 quotes from Deuteronomy 32 verse 1. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32 21. In that passage, God prophesies his frustration and even anger with their idols. So he will make them jealous with other nations. God will use other nations, nations that do not understand the covenant, to make them jealous. And, and, and Paul's going to come back to that in Romans 11. In Romans 11, he's going to come back to the idea that God is going to use the Gentiles becoming Christians to make the Jewish people jealous and want what the Gentiles have. Then verse 20, Isaiah 65, 1 is quoted. Notice Paul says that Isaiah was bold to say this. God was found by those who did not seek him. Again, who would that be? The Gentiles. God has shown himself to those who did not ask for him. Again, the Gentiles. And it's all about God's grace. It's all about God's mercy. The Gentiles didn't deserve it. You and me, we don't deserve it. And no one deserves it. It's all about God's mercy and God's grace. Verse 21 quotes Isaiah 65 too. What is happening? God is saying that he made himself available all day long to a people that were contrary and disobedient. Let's sum this up. Paul has been answering the question of the Israelite rejection of Jesus. Paul uses many scriptures to show that God has been consistent with his word and promises. God said that he would reveal himself to the nations. 
That's literally in the Greek what the Gentile, what, what that, that means, the, 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 the nations, what, what we translate as Gentiles. God also said that Jewish people would be stubborn and rebellious. God prophesied that through Moses in Deuteronomy 32, before they even entered the land, God prophesied they would be stubborn and rebellious. Dr. Ben Witherington teaches at Asbury Seminary. He says, God is making non-Christian Jews envious by bringing into the people of God Gentiles who are characterized as not a nation and is lacking understanding. Paul will continue this in Romans 11. John Piper shares, What does it mean to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? What does it mean to believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead? Satan believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. You ever think about that? He saw it happen. To answer this question, we need to ponder what the resurrection means for God's people. What does the resurrection mean for God's people? The meaning of the resurrection is that God is for us. You ever think about that? God is for us. He raised Jesus and he'll raise you and me. He aims to close ranks with us. He aims to overcome all our sense of abandonment and alienation. The resurrection of Jesus is God's declaration to Israel and to the world that we cannot work our way to glory, but that he intends to do the impossible to get us there. Think about that. We cannot work our way to glory, but God intends to do the impossible to get us there. And he has done the impossible in Jesus, and he's still doing the impossible in us, and he's going to keep on doing the impossible. The resurrection is a promise of God that all who trust Jesus will be the beneficiaries of God's power to lead us in paths of righteousness and through the valley of death. Therefore, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead is much more than accepting a fact. It's much more than accepting a fact. It means being confident that God is for you. That he has closed ranks with you. That he is transforming your life. And that he will save you for eternal joy. Are you confident that God is for you? That God has closed ranks around you. That he's transforming your life. That he is going to save you for eternal joy. You can have that confidence because of the resurrection of Jesus. Believing in the resurrection means trusting in all the promises of life. And hoping in righteousness for which it stands. It means being so confident of God's power and love that no fear of worldly loss or greed for worldly gain will lure us to disobey his will. So a lot in that sentence. I encourage you to read it later on your own or reread it. That's the difference between Satan and the saints. Satan believes in the resurrection. He saw it happen. But Satan does not believe in all that I just outlined through John Piper. Oh, my God, circumcise our hearts to love him. That's from Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And to rest in the resurrection of his son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you truly will circumcise our hearts to love you. Lord God, please, I pray that you will work on all of our hearts today. I believe your word, Lord, has brought a lot of really strong truth today. Truth of the awesome gospel message. That gives us hope. Truth of the awesome resurrection. And we know 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus, you are the first fruits of the resurrection. Because you live, we too shall live again. And it's so awesome, Lord God. May we have a heart like Paul. That we want to take the gospel to the nations. May we have a heart, Lord God, that we don't want to hold 
this awesome truth inside our heart. We want to share it with others. Oh, Lord God, may we truly know you. May we truly be in a relationship with you. And may we truly share that with other people. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us all to be praying for opportunities and even making opportunities to share this truth with others. We know Acts 1.8 says the Holy Spirit gives us power. And the power right there is not about feeling a good feeling in our heart or about comfort. The power right there is about taking the gospel to other people. Help us to step outside of our comfort zone. But may it start with prayer. And Lord God, for any here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, or who need to repent of anything, may today be the day to repent. Maybe there's people here who have strayed from you, or maybe they're watching at home or listening online. They've strayed from you. May today be the day they confess their sin, turning their life back over to you. Maybe there's some who have always believed in the gospel, but they've never really trusted in the gospel. They've never really committed to you. They're not making you Lord of their life. And Lord, may today be the day to make you Lord of their life. Maybe there's others who have never turned their life over to you at all. They've never confessed they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They've never believed in you as Lord and Savior. They've never trusted and committed. May today be the day to confess, believe, trust, and commit. And we know angels in heaven rejoice. Lord God, we need your help. We cannot do anything in the Christian life on our own. We will fail again and again and again. So we ask for the Holy Spirit's help, support, sustenance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As I always share, if you have questions about God and the spiritual life, seek me out. I would love to talk to you. Even if you're antagonistic to the Christian life, talk to me. Um, if you're a Christian who has doubts, don't hesitate to talk to me. I'd love to help you. And uh, we do have the prayer altars open. If God has laid anything on your heart and you want prayer, maybe you want to pray about a loved one that doesn't know the Lord. Come forward and kneel. We'd be glad to pray with you. We'd be glad to leave you alone and just let you pray on your own with, with God. Uh, but don't hesitate to come forward to the altars. I'll turn it back over to the praise team now.